start with this thought. Kind of reminds me of where we're going in this passage. I was, Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Invite you. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 25. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. Let me start with this thought that kind of reminds me of where we're going in this passage. I was in college walking to the cafeteria with my roommate. And as we approached the cafeteria, I noticed a commotion outside. That was not normal. Normally, folks just kind of piled in, but there were somebody was outside. I thought maybe they were selling something. And when I got there, this girl placed a pin on my shirt. And I thought, well, okay. okay. And then she placed one on my roommate's shirt. And so I asked her the question, what, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm, I'm putting these pins on all the good-looking guys that I see. And I thought, well, if he qualifies, I'm giving my pin back. I thought about that as I read this passage today. What, what you're going to see is, is a kind of passage that shows the love of the Father for even the least of these. I think the question we could ask, or, the, or maybe even the attitude that we have sometimes is, you know what, God, if you're going to let him into heaven, I don't like that. In fact, this passage is for those of you that leave some Sundays thinking that was a good passage for somebody else. You've got other people's name in mind that should have heard that sermon. This one's for you today. So if, you, if you're sitting here thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here, no, tap yourself on the shoulder and say, no, wait a minute, I'm here today. This, this one's for me. Let me read this passage. I'm picking up in the story of the prodigal son, and I've preached years ago on the first part of this passage here, and I'm picking up really from the end of the, end of the message as Jesus tells this parable, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. This is... Picking up, let me give you the context of where that, that passage comes from. If you're not familiar with the story of the prodigal son, Jesus has been teaching groups of people that have followed him. And by this time, normally when he taught, there were thousands of people that were listening to the message. And Jesus has been teaching in parables a lot. In fact, from this point on in Luke, that's primarily his teaching comes in these parables, these earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so Jesus teaches this, and he's teaching about this prodigal son, this one who goes to his father and said, Dad, I can't wait till you die, and so I want my inheritance now. And the father did something rather unusual. He divided up his estate. He gave the part that was due to his younger son to him. He gave the part that was due to his older son to him. It said that he divided his estate. And the younger son went on a journey and went to a far country and it didn't take long before he was broke because he was just throwing his money away in what the Bible calls riotous living. He just squandered it. And rather than going back home and admitting I squandered it, he attaches himself to a citizen of the country and ends up doing something he thought he'd never do for a living and finds himself basically in a pig pen, hungry, and almost jealous of what the pigs had to eat. 
And so he says, finally, he comes to the end of himself and just finally says, I will get up and I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my dad I don't deserve to be a member of the family anymore, but your servants, your slaves in this household are treated better than I am right now. So I'll just be a slave. Well, the good news is, as he approaches the house, the father sees him from a great distance and Father doesn't sit there on the rocking chair waiting on him to come to him. It says he gets up and runs to him, embraces him. And, it's, and the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he's into his little spiel that he's about to say, just let me be a servant. And the father says, wait, quick, servant, come here. He says, go get the finest robe that we have and get a ring and get a new pair of sandals. And this son of mine who was dead is alive again. This son of mine who is lost has been found. Reason to celebrate. In fact, what Jesus has just talked about before this passage, he talked about the sheep. He said, I tell you, that if the shepherd lost one sheep, he'd leave the 99 and go find that one. And when he finds him, they'll be rejoicing in heaven. Then he talks about the woman and the lost coin. And so he's, he's already been teaching about how much rejoicing there should be and is when just one sinner repents. And it's in that context, then, that we come to this passage where the older brother. The older brother is out in the field. He approaches the house. He's unaware that his younger brother's come back. But he hears music and dancing. And he realizes there's a celebration happening in the house. Now, when we come to this passage, you know, it's easier for us to identify maybe with the prodigal son because we've all been at a place where we needed a Savior where we needed to acknowledge to our Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you. But you know what? I think all of us could also identify or should identify with the older brother. The older brother approaches, a party's happening, he's wondering, why wasn't I invited? I didn't even know the brother was back. So he hears this music and dancing, and he calls one of the servants over. And he asks, what is this? What's going on? I think it's because the celebration was spontaneous. They hadn't prepared for this necessarily. It's just when the brother came back, the father was so joyful that a celebration began. And so he asked his servant, what, what's going on? And the servant says, the party's going on because your brother's come back. And your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, the fatted calf was not just any calf. It was the fatted calf. On this estate would have been like other estates in that area of the world, in a Jewish household, you would have had a, a calf that you'd given special attention to. You had picked him out special. And it may have been that he was being saved for sacrifice or for a special occasion like this. So when the servant says, he's killed the fatted calf, the brother knew instantly what he was talking about. He had helped take care of that calf. And so he knew the event is huge, but it made him mad. And the servant told the older brother, your father has received him back safe and sound. He's taken him inside. So that's kind of the question of the big brother. Spend a little bit more time on the response of the big brother. You see, if this was a fairy tale, then I would have finished right there. That's the end of the message. And they all lived happily ever after. Shouldn't that be the way it was? Hey, your brother's back. The brother that is gone and you've heard bad things about, he's He's turned from that lifestyle. He's come home, and the Father has welcomed him back in. They all lived happily ever after. Well, that's not what happens. 
Look at the next few verses, beginning in verse 28. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The brother is livid. He is angry. He's provoked and enraged. And he won't go in the house. So the father comes out to him. The same father that had seen the prodigal return and went to him went out to the older brother. Now, I don't know about you parents in the room. If you've ever had one of your children pitch a temper tantrum and you're sitting down to eat dinner and, you know, your wife or one of the other children said, well, you know, he's mad. He's pitching a temper tantrum. My natural response is, okay, let him have it. We're going to eat. When he gets hungry, he'll come eat. The father doesn't do that. He goes out to the son and even begins entreating him to come inside. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But look what the, what the brother, his response is. He says, look. He uses a word that means to see or know. In other words, Father, let me just remind you of my life with you over these past many years that that son of yours, while he's been off squandering your fortune, let me just remind you that for so many years, for such a vast length of time, as if the father didn't know this, he says, I've been serving you. In fact, the word he uses for serve is, I've been slaving for you. I have worked my fingers to the bone for you. Folks, the older brother did not get it. He didn't cherish the relationship he had with his father. He saw himself as only a slave. And not the good kind. But the kind that just simply says, you're over there and I'm over here and I'm working myself, my finger to the bone for you. For so many years. Have you ever felt that way? See, there's some people that I meet that are Christians and it's like they're saved and stuck. They're not enjoying the fellowship of the Father. They're not enjoying the relationship of being a child of God in His kingdom. It's just, I'm just going through these mundane motions. Folks, let me say something you need to hear this this morning. God doesn't need you to do that. There, there used to be a billboard, and I, I get bothered by some of the billboards I see around, but there used to be one in Merle's Inlet. Somebody took it down finally. And if you're responsible for putting it up, sorry. <laughs> but it used to say this. It said, God needs you. Every time I read it, I thought, no, I've got better news than that. God doesn't need you. In fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25 says this, The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is Lord in heaven of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. No, God doesn't need you. i got better news. God wants you. That's way better. There's nothing that you add. God's glory is immense. But he wants you to share in that. So this brother had this idea that I'm just a servant. I'm just a slave to you. And he also is thinking, and you've missed that, Dad. 
And then he says this. He says, I have never neglected a command of yours. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said. But here's my thought. The Father just asked you to come in the house. You're not doing that. You're starting today neglecting at least a request. In fact, I don't think it was a command. The Father goes out, and the word is he pleaded with him, please come in. Now, why doesn't the brother want to come in? Because in his mind, he's looking at his life. I deserve the party. And he's looking at his brother, and he's saying, he doesn't deserve it. Here's the good news. Folks, none of us do. If you've ever looked at people and said, God shouldn't let them into heaven, they don't deserve it. You're right. You don't deserve it either, though. If you ever get to the place in your life where you feel like, I've earned my salvation, you're wrong. You don't get grace. You're not understanding it. And so the brother is mad. He's angry because he thought, if anybody deserves this party, it's me. And he even puts it in contrast to say, you've never even, even though I deserve it, you've never even so much as given me a young goat. See, they weren't having goat in the house. They were having the fatted calf. The best. And the brother is thinking, I deserve that, but you haven't even given me the least. You haven't even picked out a goat out of your herd and given it to me so that I could have a party and celebrate with my friends. What's he really saying? I don't even want to celebrate with you, Dad. I just want to have a party with my friends. You never let me do that. And then he says this, this son of yours has come back. What's he saying? In contempt, he's not saying my brother's come back, or he doesn't even call him by name. He basically says, I've severed all ties with this guy. This son of yours has come back. Who, who is represented by this big brother here? As Jesus is teaching, who are the people that are hearing this message that Jesus teaches that should have identified he's talking about us? The Pharisees. The religious people. The religious elite. Because if you look back at chapter 15, earlier in the passage, verse 2, listen to this. It says, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't that exactly what the big brother's saying? You've received this sinner, and you're even having a party with him. Here's what bothers me. Instead of the Pharisees asking Jesus, why would you dare associate with sinners? Jesus is basically saying, how do you dare not? You've been given grace. You have a relationship with God. Why don't you share that with other people? So he's speaking to these religious Pharisees. And the brother's mad. And he basically says, this son of yours has devoured your wealth. Literally eaten through your wealth. And instead of punishing him, instead of chastising him, instead of giving him what he deserves, you kill the fatty calf. Let me talk just a minute about mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. The mercy in this case would have been the father allowing the son to come back and even live as a slave. That would have been mercy, not treating you as you deserve. You deserve for me to say, don't come on my property. You wanted to leave. You took the money and ran. Enjoy it. You're not welcome here. He offered him mercy. You're back on the property. But then he gave him something he didn't deserve. That's grace. 
Mercy is receiving not what you do deserve, which is death. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve that you never earned. And for the case of the younger brother, it was I've killed a fatty calf. I've put a robe on your back, a ring on your finger, and shoes on your feet, indicating this, you're not a slave in my household. You're a member of the family. And it made the brother mad. Let's look at the response of the father as we close. Just a few quick thoughts. See, he had already offered grace to the prodigal. Now he's really offering grace to the older brother. First indication of that is he came out to him. He didn't sit in the house and say, well, he'll get over it, let him have his little pity party. No, he came out to the brother. He didn't send a servant to do it. He didn't call from a distance. Hey, what are you thinking? Come on in the house. He goes out to him. He extends grace. He pleaded with him. He could have commanded but he doesn't. He pleads with him. The third thing is he called him son. He called him son, indicating relationship. First John chapter 3 says, What a great gift we've been, we've been given by God that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He called him son. He doesn't call him slave or servant. Romans 8 15 says that we haven't been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but we've been given a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Look at me. If you're a child of God, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of the King. That's grace. You don't deserve it. Fourth thing, he says this, You have always been with me. See, this other brother who, yeah, he doesn't deserve the party. Got, listen, for years he has lived outside of my fellowship. And he finally has come to realize this isn't what I want. I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm separated from the Father. And so the Father says to this one, you have always been with me. Let me ask you, is that enough for you? If God never gives you another thing, is it enough to just have fellowship with the Father? Is God your treasure, or is he only a means to treasure? See, the big brother, he thought, me hanging out here and working like a slave is my means to something better. When it should have been, the attitude should have been, thank you, Father, that I've been able to avoid what my little brother experienced, and I've had fellowship with you. Men and women, is that enough? It ought to be. Last thing indicated in this passage about grace, he says this, all that is mine is yours. Nothing had changed. If you go back at the beginning of the passage, he divided the wealth among them. In fact, most scholars believe the older brother got more than the younger brother did because he was the oldest. But even if it was split right down the middle, this young older brother just worried about you never gave me a fatted calf. The father could have said, I already gave it to you. Half of everything or more that I have is yours. I've, I've just doled it out already to the younger brother, but when I did that, I divided it. You've got that. You just never accepted it. You never lived in the fact that relationship with me brings that. All that is mine is yours. And then I love what he had to say. He said we had to celebrate. It was necessary that we celebrate. Why? Because this brother of yours, 
not just my son, but this brother of yours has come home. In fact, he said it this way. He said he was dead. Literally, he was a corpse. Do you understand that apart from God? Ephesians puts it this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. How much can a dead person do? Nothing. It just took a while for that younger brother to recognize, I'm dead. He says he is dead and he's begun to live. Here's the good news, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. had the opportunity to share with a young man in this building this summer, and he prayed to receive Christ. He called me two days later because I asked him to. I, I want to hear how things are going. And he said this. He said, I, I know it's really too early to say this, but I feel like a different person. I said, no, it's not too early. You're a different person the moment you ask Christ in your life. You turn from a life of sin. The Bible says that's in the past. Now all things are new. You're a brand new creature. This son was dead, but he's begun to live. He was lost. It's the same word that you see over in John 3.16, the word perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him would not perish, would not be destroyed utterly or fully, would not be lost. And so the father describes, this is a son of yours, that this is your brother that was perishing apart from me. But now he's been found. See, the thing that bothers us as church people is that lost people act like lost people. That shouldn't surprise us. Why does it? I remember serving as youth pastor that sometimes I'd get those phone calls on Thursday. And the reason they came on Thursday is because Wednesday night was our youth meeting. And somebody would tell me something they saw on Wednesday night. They just wanted me to know. And what they were basically saying is, do you know that you got some lost people coming on Wednesday night? Now, they didn't put it that way. It's just they're acting like lost people. One of my favorites was a lady called me and she said, Robert, you may not be aware of this, but there were some kids smoking behind the building Wednesday night. And I didn't say it. But I wanted to say, I wonder where they learned that. See, lost people act like lost people. So if you find yourself this morning or if at some point in your life you recognize, you know, sometimes I act like the older brother, ask God to show you how he views people. Listen, if they're lost, if they don't know Jesus, we need to pray for them that they come to know Jesus. Not be upset then when God does extend grace and draws them to himself and they pray to receive Christ and we sit back going, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But neither did you. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Fathers, we look at this story as a reminder of two things. That, Father, this morning either we're like that one that needed grace and needed a Savior and needs to come home and say, I've sinned against you. I recognize that I'm separated from you. Or, we're the ones that have already received your grace. We're already children of God. and We're with you. 
And all that you have, you've said, is ours. God, I pray that our attitude would be, God, if you never do another thing for me, it's enough that you let me know you and that you call me your child. And I pray that we would be encouraged and even challenged today to recognize that there are folks all around us, folks that we go to school with, folks that we work beside, folks that we live near, and maybe even in our own home who don't know you. I pray, God, that when we see them come to Christ, we'd recognize there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when just one sinner repents. In fact, God, I pray that you would use us as instruments to help bring them to you. In fact, God, I pray that lost people would see in us something that they want, that they would recognize that person has a relationship with the Father that's attractive, and I want that. God, even today, draw people to yourself. That is our prayer in Christ's name.